Coming live from New Jersey, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Kendall Smith, author of the uh, Rookie Father. Sorry, sorry, there was a, some, some typo. Uh, author of the Rookie Father. And we'll be talking about how people can prepare for parenthood, especially people who are becoming fathers for the first time. Welcome to the show, Kendall. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate being on your show. And thanks for having me on. Right. And sorry once again for this typo, which That's made right. this whole thing, uh, you know, go away. So that was the problem. So now we are back to things. So firstly, uh, Kendall, just wanted to understand you know, what exactly led you to write this book? People write on, you know, several other topics, but this is an important topic. But I just wanted to understand what was the idea that led you to writing this book, this particular yeah. Sure. Yeah. Great question. So I had uh, been I had written uh, four or five novels and fiction beforehand, uh, and I've always loved writing. That's a passion of mine. And when my son was born about a year later, uh, I was like, OK, I have to get back into writing again. And the one thing I looked at was I looked at how important and significant my son was, who was snapping upstairs because I write at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, there's no book out in the market that speaks to men who are raising a child, but yet do not have a father themselves growing up. And that's one of the premise that started the idea of what kind of advice can I convey? Because that was my upbringing. I was essentially raised by my mom. And being a dad, being in a, in a happy marriage was like critical to me. So I decided, okay, well, I'm going to package a book that's digestible, it provides real-world experiences, and is relevant to that dad when he's in his either expecting or in the first few years of becoming a parent. Okay, okay. But what exactly is your mission? One is the idea behind the book. And then one is the mission behind the book. What that's exactly is your mission when you decided to write this book? So the mission is to make every new dad comfortable in their own skin when they become a dad, when they become a father. And when you're raised in absence of one, which in the U.S., I'll give you a statistic I found from the U.S. Census. There are between in the 1990s, those that were born in that decade, they're either in or about to enter the parenting stage of their lives. There's 19 million men in this country that are raised almost exclusively by their own mothers. And the absence of a father can bring a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension. So the mission is to give quick, succinct hits of advice. The book's 132 pages, 132 chapters, but every chapter is one to two pages. So it's digestible. You can get into it, get in what you want, get out of it, what you, what you need. And it covers a, a full breadth of, of coverage, everything from how to maintain a healthy marriage, um, the importance of time management, how to manage your money. Uh, and then what kind of legacy can you leave behind that will be bigger and greater than what your dad gave to you uh, in your family lineage? That's kind of the mission. Right, right. So, Kendall, in this particular book, which is almost like a playbook for, you know, expecting parents, especially, you know, uh, people becoming, uh, looking at fatherhood for the first time, mm -hmm. what have you exactly included in this particular book because a lot of people would be 
trying to figure out by listening to this show from this show itself whether they would uh, like to go for this book whether that this book is for them at all so if you can give an idea exactly what this book has you know in its pages sure well the first thing i could say is that as an expecting parent or um, if you're a parent of a newborn babies don't come with manuals and a lot of that advice has to be absorbed it has to be asked for it has to be considered and with a solid family structure you'll have immediate parties that will be there to help you your your parents your your wife's parents your your neighbors your friends but in the book itself when i look at through the lens of not being, having a father around, like what does fatherhood mean and how, what kind of positive impact can you have in the life of your child? So from that perspective, the book is not about an instruction manual on the actual physical care of your child. It's about how can you structure your work life? So you're home at least four nights a week to spend time with your son or daughter. And why is that so important? Why is it important to bond? Why is it in the first year I advise men take a sabbatical, from all your interests. You just If you love basketball or you're an avid um, marathoner, or maybe you just like to, to go cycling for exercise, like don't eliminate completely, but you have to call that back so you spend quality time. That leads to a, a stronger foundation for your marriage. And that is really one of the key areas of success that fathers need to focus on. It's not just to be focused on the child, it's focused on your spouse. So as that, as we get through that, it leads to other discussions. It, le- it leads to how do you manage your work life? Um, financially, a child in the U.S., the cost of raising a child is significant. And it probably is everywhere else. I'm just giving my own perspective from the United States. But, you know, things will come up. It could be um, tutoring. At a young age, it could be speech therapy. Whatever that may be, you have to be financially insulated to, to manage the blows that come with having a child. Um, and that's what's so important to manage your money correctly, to invest it wisely. If you are looking to save a home or the home you have now, if it's too small, okay, well, how are you going to get to a larger home? So the book gets into a discussion of what kind of neighborhoods are you going to look at? What are the things to look for? Um, and that leads further on into um, interfamily dynamics, which is another key thing that when you're raised by a, a single parent, you don't get to see the interfamily dynamics and how they work. So like the in-laws, it can be a mystery to many men if they're raised exclusively by their mom. And that you have to manage. And how do you manage that, especially with the birth of a child? Now things get a little more complicated. So it gives quick, succinct hits on advice. And I draw a lot of the experience that I brought and from my childhood, just, re- just observing other dads that I consider to be successful more so than not. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, talking about fatherhood, Kendall, is that one of the challenges, and that is, I guess, in everywhere, that people get a lot of advice while they are expecting the baby to come in this this world. And that time, you know, and I'm sure this is not just in the US, this is also in, in India and anywhere else. So you look for some advice, you get a lot of advice. Yeah. And anybody who knows that you are expecting, you know, you are yeah. going around looking at fatherhood from, you know, it's not very far away for you. For you, People come by themselves and uh, they give advice, especially in a place like India. Uh, there, a lot of people believe in sharing their insights into a lot of things. 
at yeah. that point in time at that point in time how should a person look at this particular uh, you know uh, advice so many advice at the same time and figure out what is the right advice for them how do they tread this path it's a good question and the way i think about it to make an analogy it's like if you were to build a home from scratch you could not do it on your own you don't have the skills to get the timber you don't have the plumbing experience you're going to be taking parts and bits and bringing in experts to build your house i would consider the same advice when it comes to parental advice and that is you're going to get a lot of opinions but at the end of the day you and your wife ultimately decide how you're going to raise your child and one thing that my wife and i have a lot in common with is you know we believe in holding our son connor accountable and that is a critical point we've seen other parents some parents will pamper their child or make excuses for their child or will try to rationalize what they're doing. At the end of the day, we are a lot more strict. And that's how we wanted to raise our kids. So when you interact in that situation, more when your kids are older, not when they're newborns. But when you start to get advice, you know, you are the ultimate filter in how you're going to absorb that. And talk to your spouse about it. Like share the ideas about how you want to go about this. Another example, um, every thing we read, our son was born in August. And everything we read said, if you can hold uh, a boy back one year before going into kindergarten, they'll have to be more mature, they'll be more confident, they'll have more physical and mental capabilities to manage whatever stress they get in kindergarten, which is nothing compared to adulthood. But like you still, boys are better prepared when they have an extra year. And we actually went and looked, we read studies on this. We talked to other parents. And the common commonality we found was that parents that put their boys when they're five years old in the kindergarten, which is usually the age that children go in, the boys that went in younger, five or four years old versus six years old, almost every single parent regretted it. Every single one. So discussing this, researching it, my wife and I were on the same page almost immediately. That's the kind of thing where someone may advise you, oh, we'll put it, get them in early into school. It'll be good. It's up to you and your spouse to make the decision and do it together as a uh, united couple. Okay. Okay. Another area is, you know, uh, I don't know how much you have dealt that in the book you would be able to tell is that, you know, the, the husband and wife both have their upbringing have been a bit different in different environments. Yeah. And they understand bringing up a child in the way they have seen it in their own experience. Now, when a new child comes in, how do they uh, come to a common ground as to what is the best approach in uh, bringing up the child? Because both may have their own ideas and uh, sometimes it can be a difficult thing to decide on. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it comes down to communication. And... The key thing for men to understand is the way they communicate their, their frustration, their anger. The key thing I talk about is I talk about the intercommunication you have with your spouse. And one thing you could learn is, is something I learned from my mother, which was um, empathetic communication. And this is a chapter in the book, and it's actually uh, probably the best advice that I got from my mother in terms of managing relationships. Uh, especially for men. Men never really express how they feel. Uh, they, they express it in different ways. 
women have a different approach to how they go about managing relationships. But for men, if you have the ability to express how you feel and phrase it in that manner, if something's really frustrating you and you communicate in a way, an example may be, you know, when you say this, honey, you know, it makes me feel like X. And just that little way of expressing your feeling, it's more feminine in nature, but it eliminates all the other distractions that may go on in an argument. And it may actually get back to the root issue. And by doing that, it's a great habit to get into because oftentimes tensions can boil over. You know, a man can get frustrated and raise his voice. And I've done it. Like I'm not innocent in this. I, I've got as many flaws as anyone else. But when you step back and you're, you're trying to go in towards a, a healing process and resolving a conflict, communicating with that empathetic nature, it eliminates, it, it gets down to the, the root issue quickly. And in parenting, you have to do that. You can't let things linger. I mean, one day to the next can be totally different, you know, depending on your child, if they're colicky or they're, they're frustrated or they're in their terrible twos and they're running around the house. You've got to figure out a way and how to communicate your, your, your emotions and hopefully you married well, because that has to come down to it too. Hopefully you are a good judge of whoever um, you married. Okay. Okay. And is this book, you know, rookie father, is it only for the father or it can be used by the uh, expecting mother too? I think it is, it's relevant to both spouses for one reason. And that is when a woman and man have a child, they are more codependent on each other than at any other moment in their marriage. And when you think about it, like you're literally on the most important team. And I talk about the importance of, of teamwork. You're on the most important team you'll ever be on in your life. You and your spouse raising this child. And if you have multiple children, more than two, and you're outnumbered, then you better have like a good, good playbook. So I think the book has applicable tips. I think also one thing that I learned, I actually worked at Men's Health Magazine back in the day uh, for years. And the funny part about that magazine was that women would read it to get a better understanding of how men think. And what, what Men's Health readers would do at times, not all the time, but like they would read a Cosmo. That was the joke. Like men read Cosmo to figure out how women thought and women read Men's Health to figure out how men thought. So I think uh, wives can get a lot out of this book too. Because um, also it involves other topics, like just even family finances. That alone, to get your head wrapped around that. If you come together about how you're going to approach your home budget, your savings goals, your long-term goals on where you want to move to, for example, if your child is going to get going into grade school, what kind of school system? How are we going to get there? And if you take a long-term approach when that when the child is born and you got a five-year window to really put it together, a couple can do anything they want. And it's just a matter of diligence, savings, smart investment, and being on the same page. So I think it's okay. it can be, I think it would be applicable to both both sides of the of the uh, gender line. Okay, okay. And who are the people you have interviewed uh, in this particular book? What do they bring in terms of value for people who would purchase this book? Yeah. So I have three interviews in the book. Uh, the first is with a man named Dana Glazer who um, talked about dadhood and dads who worked from home. He actually did a documentary on this. And he's an, just an exceptional father because his family background is so oriented around family itself. And I liked all the advice and the insights he gave in this documentary. And we've been friends for a long time. So I wanted to get his take. And we talked about 
the benefits of an active father in the household and how that could really course correct so many issues in society. Just that one little thing. The next uh, person I interviewed was a man named Alan Katz. Uh, he was a publisher of um, New York Magazine, Vanity Fair. I worked with him in a magazine called Cargo, which is come and go. And he had the best work-life balance of anyone I have ever met in my life. He could manage both, never break a sweat. Traveling three times a month. He came home. He was making a, a big crock pot of food for his family. Like he was just a, a, a fantastic time manager. So we got into that with him and, and got his take on how you manage career and family. And the last couple was uh, two parents of the same sex. And in the United States, we're seeing more couples like that. I wanted to get their take on parenthood, uh, how they're raising their kids, how they came about it. And it's, it's a, a great way to deflect the concerns about what a family is traditionally referred to as. I refer to it as two parents trying to raise kids, irregardless of gender. And I think it's important to respect their institution, their family, regardless of gender, and welcome them. And I think it's an important part that um, we're going to see more of. And I think it espouses equality uh, and liberty. Right, right. Now, in terms of, you know, when uh, they are about to have the baby, one thing that every parent want to have is to do the best for their baby. And that starts from, you know, uh, the pre-shopping, uh, shopping for the baby to get ready for the baby to come into this world. Yep. That time, a lot of people who have enough money, for them, they can still go out and splurge. But a lot of people, for them, this is an emotional thing, who, who do not have that much of money still, they want to emotionally, you know, do as much as possible, spend as much as possible. How do they manage this part uh, how do they make sure that they are not just doing enough, be, being prepared for the moment, but also at the same time are being practical about it and not going overboard with the preparations for the arrival of the baby? It's a good question. I would consider the long-term implications of splurging before your child's even born. And, and sorry to interrupt, the husband and the wife both may have again different opinion on this particular front and can yeah. be very difficult to. Yeah. I, I think in the short term, I think the best advice I could give is that if you think about a family that buys top of the line, changing table, cribs, all these things, unless they have other kids, these items will not be used again. There's no shame in going out, replacing a child's mattress replacing the, the, the bedding they sleep on and buying used equipment to save some money. I advise parents that do not come from well-to-do backgrounds to consider these things. Uh, to start thinking financially in smart terms and thinking again, the long-term savings is going to be critical because to say, we're going to spend, I'll make up a number $3,000 on baby equipment. Okay. If we could do it for half that and I take those $1,500 in savings by taking use equipment, cleaning it, doing everything you need to make sure it's safe and banking that money. That's a little more money to a slightly bigger house, a better neighborhood. It's so important to make sure that you maintain a level of long-term savings to achieve long-term goals. The second thing is that after when your child starts crawling around, like he's looking for toys, things to do, kids don't need much. They really don't. You give a child a, a, a toy in a box 
and you give it to him when he's a year and a half to two years old, say two years old to two, three, they play with the box. They don't play with the toy right away. They want to fool around the box. So I'm not saying to go out and give your child boxes, but I'm telling you, like, you don't need a lot. A child don't need a lot. And especially if the parents are involved and they're playing with them and having fun. Um, I don't think you have to splurge from birth all the way to 10 years old to make sure your child's entertained. I think there's things you can do that, that are smart and economic. And again, there's so much used stuff in the world you can reuse and repurpose. It, it, it's, it's amazing how much is out there and that sadly how much gets discarded in the United States, which is a whole other topic I want to get into. But like that's a whole – there's a lot of people that could use the things that affluent couples use that are – that um, go to people that need it. But there's more that can be done. Right. Right. Uh, Kendall, one thing is, you know, I'm curious to understand for the audience is that uh, you uh, are the son of a single mother. She brought you up. Your mother brought you up mainly. Mm-hmm. Then where did you get all this wisdom? One is you have interviewed three very important people. And then awesome. you watched you watched a lot of people. But, you know, uh, it needs an intrinsic sort of a wisdom to watch people and get so much of an insight to actually get down to writing this book. Then you are a great observer, I must say. Just from a curiosity point of view, uh, how did it come about that being uh, uh, the son of a single single ma- mother and then, you know, looking at things? You are well settled in your, in your professional life that you are already in, in a good position and thinking about writing a book and getting so much of insight, it's indeed a tedious task for anybody. And still you went for it and did it well. So I just wanted to understand, how did you get that insight? How did you, you know, fine-tune your observation to actually put it down in pen and paper? No, good question. So my I, I was raised by a single mom. My parents separated and divorced when I was young. Um, and I should caveat that because... You know, I remember the day my father left. I was six years old. From the time I was eight years old, I started looking at other dads in my neighborhood. And I started truly observing on what they were doing. And there were great dads or good dads. And then there were not such so good dads. They were just subpar. And as I looked at my, from really from, the, from eight years old and on, I said, you know, when I become a dad, I am not going to go down this road. I want to be a better parent. And literally from that time all the way, until my child was born, I would be, I've been observing. And what I say in the book is, you know, if you find even a TV character inspiring that sparks something in you, then make it your own. You basically, you can define fatherhood in your own terms. Uh, and that's really important that you get your head wrapped around that. Um, and when you do, you'll have a lot more confidence. And one example I share is I share a movie, uh, a quote from the movie uh, Boys in the Hood. It came out in 1991. Very famous here in the United States. And the line this father who's raising a child by himself says is that any boy can make a baby. It takes a man to raise a son. And when I was 21 and I heard that in the theater, it just right in the chest. Like that, I'm going to own that. Like that is so true on so many levels. And then when I was writing the book, literally like 5.30 in the morning, son's one year old. I just did a brain dump. And I thought about all the topics that I could talk about just little insights of advice um, from all the lessons I learned about being a husband, um, the, the mistakes I made along the way, 
And then I looked at, I broke all that down. And in one sitting, I had about 70 pieces of different advice. And I went back and I illuminated duplicates, but I, I, I had about 70 pieces. I'm like, that's a book. And then I just started to add to that and I enriched it further. And it took me about a year and a half to write. And then I wanted to write in a way that could be actionable and not like most self-help books, which is a 30 page chapter on bonding with your child. No man's going to read 30 pages. Not, not in our culture. It's not going to happen. They want quick hits. And that's how I, fra- that's how I frame the book. Okay. Okay. Now, who has seen somebody who has seen life from so close? Fatherhood from so close. Good fathers, very good fathers, and not so good ones. Also from very close. What have you, what would you tell the rookie father? What exactly is good fatherhood all about? How can a rookie father be a good father? I think number one is having a presence, a consistent presence in your child's life, communication, and learning how to communicate your feelings, and also looking at how you can express yourself to your son in a healthier manner or in a healthy manner. Sometimes that's getting, sometimes that's getting angry to show frustration. Um, I think also the best advice I could give is to understand that you're coming to this process as almost like a new student going to university and you're there to learn, observe, and most importantly, you need a course correct. So I, I'll give an example of not in the book. My son came home from, um, from preschool one, no, from kindergarten one day. No, no, forgive me, preschool. And he's talking about how a kid was bullying him and how uh, the kid kept, kid was punching him. I'm like, okay, that's, that's not going to happen. You give one verbal warning, another stern warning. And if you have to, you, you got to punch back. You stand up for yourself. Do not get pushed around. And I'm explaining this to a four-year-old. I'm like, don't get, actually he was five years old. I'm like, you can't get pushed around. You have to stand up for yourself. And he looked awkward and like, like sheepish. I'm like, well, what's wrong? He goes, well, dad, the kid's three years old. I'm like, whoa, so you have a three-year-old punching you? He goes, yeah, he's punching me. I'm like, well, you can't punch back. Like, just forget everything I told you. Anyone your own age, you do what I just told you. A three-year-old, you just push him aside. Like, get him out of the way. Like, you can't do that with a three-year-old. And like, so that was me saying, okay, I need to learn to ask more questions before I do a lot of advice like that. So I think that course correction, you're going to make mistakes and you have to admit to them and then adapt accordingly. Right, right. Uh, Kendall, there are different societies. In the US, it's much more of, you know, equal relationships. And they look at res- re- uh, responsibilities of a child also equally. But several times, you know, and in other places like in India, the responsibilities are very much there. Here in India, a lot, several fathers, you know, are not able to express it very openly, but they love their children a lot. Mothers tend to be much more, you know, uh, around the children a lot many times. Many number of housewives, even working women, they take care of uh, children more. But there's no competition around. Fathers do their own uh, things for the children in their own manner. But in the U.S., it's a slightly different uh, relationship, much more equal. Several times, uh, things do not go the way it should go, and people separate. And at that point in time, people say that I have more right towards to, towards my child. 
much more so. And then it is up to the courts to decide. Maybe there are other factors to decide. But exactly if I am able to ask it in the right manner is that who does the child belong to more? Or whose responsibility is there more for the child? Because someday this question lands up in a court of law and the child does not know what to uh, who, who to choose of both the people. So it is a very tricky thing that I asked. I don't even know if I've asked it the way uh, it should be asked. Right. But, uh, but sometimes, you know, it can be a very difficult question. Uh, sometimes, uh, in, even in relationships, people ask that I'm taking more care of the child, whereas you should be doing it more. And then that leads to a lot of disagreements. How do you look at this whole, you know, paraphernalia of questions that I have put up for you? You know, it's, I understand the scenario and it's, it's a good topic to cover. My advice is that when you find out that you're going to become a parent, you have a responsibility to do everything you can to make that relationship, you and your spouse, work for the benefit of your child. That's number one. Um, the second thing is, even if different parents play different roles, they have an equal responsibility in making key decisions. I'm not talking about should we breastfeed or bottle feed. I'm not, this is talking about important decisions about that child's life. And a man has as much right to that influence of the decision as the woman does. And you have to approach it as a team. And if there's lingering doubts about the marriage, I advise in this book repeatedly, uh, and I've benefited from it personally, that uh, it's time to get uh, a third party involved, and that's a family therapist. If it gets to that point where there's so much friction, go and talk to someone. And if you end up separating, which is a, a horrible outcome, but if it goes down that road and you've done everything you can to preserve your marriage, you have that in your back pocket. And that's the most important thing as your child grows up to say, look, we did everything we could to preserve our marriage. Everything to therapy. We talked it out. We tried to do everything we could. It didn't work. And at that stage, um, I think also when you get into a family therapy discussion, you're going to really figure out. And a lot of the advice will be centered around how to, res how to resolve conflict. And I think it, it echoes back to how you were raised. Like, what was your role model? If you come from a two-parent family, how did your dad manage situations? Well, that's not how your spouse's father did. And there's a lot of influence that comes in from both families. And that's where, to your point before about families in India and the different in inputs, you two have to work it out. If you need a third party to do that, you have to come to an agreement. And even if you don't love the agreement, it's a compromise. And can you live with it? Can you go on with your life and enjoy a fruitful marriage and creating a home that's comfort comforting and warm and loving for your children? And th that's the goal to aim for. As soon as you get the word about it, you're going to become a parent. Right, right. Just a short while ago, I asked you about how to be a good father. If I extend it further, then may I ask you how can one be a good parent? And this is you know, including the husband as well as the wife. How do you look that road at? I think it stems from being a good parent starts first with being a good partner to your spouse, being fair to them, being honest, being open. Um, I think time spent with child, with your children. I think the, the ability for a parent to bond with that child um, and to put 
you know, firm guardrails up in terms of what they can and cannot do. I think children that come from homes with lack of discipline um, or it's too many excuses about a child's behavior, that's not going to fly. It gets worse and worse. You have to nip that in the butt. Um, And I think the other thing that a good parent can do is think about a a solid structure for that child. Children love uh, structure. And when you think about that, like, what times will they eat? What times will they nap? Um, when is it time to do homework? What time, what time is it to play? All these the structures that you can put in place that are normal and regular is so healthy. And it, it's, it benefits the child because they just it, it gives them a, a, a stronger sense of comfort on what family means. So I think about being a good spouse and uh, providing a good structural environment for your child, uh, I think is, is, makes you a good parent. Right, right. Now, after writing this book, do your friends, your you know, extended sort of social life, or or your your, your or the people who have read your book, do they consider you as a as an advisor who can advise on parenting issues, fatherhood issues? How how do they look at at you, and how do you look at this particular new new role for yourself? Well, I. My number one rule when I wrote the book was I'm not going to dole out free advice unless it's asked for. I do not want my friends. I don't have any edge over my friends in terms of being a better or a good dad or a good parent. Uh, They equally have their own strengths. And surprisingly, the thing that shocks me is as I look at the friends we have in the community community we live in, I was raised in a time when a third of all the families in my hometown got divorced. 1970s, early 80s. It was a train wreck. It was just, I saw kids go to juvenile delinquent school. I saw other kids do drugs and alcohol. It was, it was a mess. The families today, a lot of the families that befriended maybe were just insulated. And I live in a bubble, but like they have their act together. Um, they are in some cases better parents than I am. And for those that have three kids, how can I advise a dad that has three kids? He's already been to three or three times. He could probably write a better book than me. So I literally have um, bring zero pretentiousness, arrogance to my friendships. The book is a side hustle. It's fun. I love writing it. Um, so I, 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 I promote equality in terms of, of opinions. And I ask for other parents. That's the other thing I do is I'm always asking parents, like, what's your take on this? How would you manage this? Like, I've been trying, I've tried to be a sponge from eight years old onward. Like, what do you think of that? Oh, you know, and you get you get a feel for how either how you could better manage the situation or you find great examples like that's a perfect way to manage that that challenge that a parent's dealing with. Right, right. But still, those people who may want to connect with you uh, to know more about the book, to uh, know where they can buy this book uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, to understand more about, you know, about all these issues that we talked about, how they can connect with you how and where is it that they can buy this book yeah so um the rookiefather.com is the website so i'm posting uh, material there material about that on the website all the time um you can find me at uh the rookiefather at gmail.com i'm on twitter at um author kendall facebook and instagram the rookiefather there as well so I'm, i'm an open book no pun intended, but reach out to me. And then the book is available. It's got, it's gone to 41 reviews, positive reviews on Amazon. 
Uh, it's on Walmart, Target, and then you can find local digital booksellers like Books a Million um, and also Familius.com. And Familius is the uh, the publisher that released the book in um, last winter. Right, right. Now, my last question to you, Kendall, is that your parents got divorced when you were around six. And you saw a lot of young children, how their parents behave with them, very good ones, good ones, and lesser ones. You also saw the children, you know, who, who were passing through difficult times. As you said, a lot of people, uh, their parents divorced around in your community at that point in time, and they went into drugs. And one is that now from a six-year-old to a father of, uh, to the father uh, of your own child, how do you see this whole journey that you have traversed? And how do you feel that, you know, when at that point in time, you, as you said, you wanted to be a good father to your own children. So how do you look at your life at this point in time as a father yourself? And second thing is that what would be your advice to children uh, who, whose parents get separated for whatever reasons? Uh, how should they look at their life uh, as to take it forward towards a better life like you did for yourself and made a good life of your own life? Yeah, two good questions. The first is it has to do in the way I look at the six-year-old that I was compared to the to um, where I am now. Is I, I put it in the frame of, of a father's legacy. And when you bring up that subject and what a father meant to a family uh, over the long haul, parent, a grandparent, and and beyond. Um, establishing a great family structure and participating as an involved parent, you will be looked upon, back on, you'll be looked on fondly years from now. And it, that leads to a, a healthier child's perspective about parenting it themselves and how they can manage that. And it also, it almost, when you come from a divorced home, and you find yourself, and I, I, I do this, I actually advise guys to look at how long did their parents' marriage last and how long has your marriage last? Uh, that's lasted today. And if your parent, if your marriage has lasted and endured longer than your parents and you've done something fantastic, and you should celebrate that. And you should also celebrate the fact that you're essentially course correcting um, a wrinkle in your family's lineage. And it's a really important fact when I think about my dad and his parents who had divorced. So when you go back two generations, you have a, my father's side of the family has had a lot of negative incidents happen. And now that stops with me. And that, I think, is my greatest um, reward in the long term. And I think my son will benefit from it. And for kids today, if I, you know, and I have a family that's, that may be going through this in the very near term. I have friends that are getting divorced. Um, I would tell the kids that, one, it's not your fault. And two, your parents still equally love you. There's separate homes. And three, if they're a little older, you know, this is something that you can correct in your own family experience. This is something that you can manage differently. If you're that upset about it, remind yourself of that when you get married. Is this the person that you can go through the good times and the bad times with? And if you get that right, and you, it's not just all about passion and wonderful experiences about when you get through the hard times and you put that in perspective – It'll make you a better spouse, which leads to becoming a better parent uh, in most cases, because you will you will value a two-parent home more than not. 
right right well well put uh candle on all these questions that i put to you uh put to you and i'm sure a lot of people will make the best of this book called the rookie father written by you that's candle smith thank you so much indeed for your time and talking to us thanks jj prepping on your show thank you